Hi, I'm David Allen Lambert. I'm here with Terry O'Connell. We're your virtual historians. And we are across the pond visiting with a good friend of mine, Paul Carter from nameandplace.com. And if you don't know about Name and Place, you really should as a historian or somebody who likes to use wander and virtually visit someplace, but wanted to adopt that place. And now it may not even be a place that you have ancestors from. Maybe it's where you live. Because I have a place where I've lived my whole life. I don't have ancestors from here. Well, technically, I guess my parents and my grandparents, but it's been my adopted community. Maybe you want to adopt one. And without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Paul. And Paul, can you tell us how you came up with this fabulous idea of Name and Place? Hi, David. Thank you. Yes, it's um, great to see you. Name and Place actually came about through a conversation with someone I had known for a number of years, a professional genealogist at the time, a lady called Pam Smith here in the UK as well. We'd worked together originally, I'd produced her website for her at that time, and she'd got very interested in local history, and as you rightly touched upon, you can do research projects in areas which are not related to your family. You can just have another trigger. In fact, ironically, Pam had chosen a place when she not only didn't have any family from, she didn't even live there either. It was just a place that just struck her. She loved going there. It was about an hour's drive from her home. And she quite quickly came across the issue which researchers tend to do with these types of projects, which is how on earth do you store the data? And so she knew, obviously, me as a techie, I'm a software developer by trade. And so we were actually at a family history conference and we sat down sort of after breakfast one morning there and just, she said, you know, what, what do I do with my data? And of course, me being me with foot in mouth, I said, I can build some software to do that for you. Easy. <laughs> and that was basically where Name and Place was born. So it was very much born out of a need to sort of help Pam with her studies but of course very quickly we realized it was something that could help an awful lot of people and it sort of really grown from there. You know I had the honor to uh, run into you and Pam I think it was because I was incorrectly enunciating the village where my Lee family came from Brereton and I was calling it Brereton that's a good Yankee way of doing it I suppose I you know, was intrigued by your project. This, of course, is at Roots Tech London uh, two mm, years ago when right. we were actually yeah. were at conferences. Remember those days? I know. Amazing. Oh, it's crazy. Then, of course, I saw you at Roots Tech in Salt Lake City, which was the last conference I went to before the entire world changed. But Pam is an interesting person. You mentioned about her project. For me, she was going to show me as a, you know, a project what it looks like so she pulls open the project and she goes well this is a little project about a village called rillington i said well i know about rillington she goes how do you know about rillington i said well i have family from rillington and so i'm like looking at the list and i said you have a list of the names she goes yeah what name are you related to i said i'm a harrison and she goes oh you must be a harrison from nova scotia <laughs> i said yes my third great grandmother was hannah harrison who married john lambert my first immigrant in my own paternal line i was just hooked and now she's uh doing her Wednesday place name post on Twitter. She put the baptismal font from the church where my third great grandmother was baptized in 1764. And I'm like, oh, you just got to stop doing this, Pam. I said, I'm never going to get anything done at work. <laughs> yeah. 
I know I remember that conversation so well because I think you were on the, the New England stands, which was kind of not close, but we were sort of facing each other. And I remember yeah, you coming yeah. over and chatting to us. You can't make these stories up, can you? The fact no, that we I mean, have one village. And Willington's in small. I guess like genealogy is one of those things where a place name or a surname sticks in the back of your brain like peanut butter in the roof of your mouth. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Rillington, I know where that is. That's my Harrison family. And Pam and I became fast friends and you and I you know, became fast friends. And, you know, obviously I said, you need to come to Roots Tech, Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Because yep. Americans are the ones that really need to adopt this because so many people go from scratch and creating a historical society website, which I did for my own community. Yeah. but it's great for photos and it's good for telling when the next meeting is, but a real database or an idea of how name and place will serve an individual to research their town history or an ancestral town history. So Paul, I know our listeners and viewers are going to probably want to know more about name and place and they can go to the website to learn more. But I thought maybe if you had um, an interest, you could kind of show the website for those who have not seen it before. Yeah, absolutely. Just before I really show you the software, I thought I'd just show you a mental picture of my brain. So this is a great way of illustrating exactly how I tick. This to me sums up name and place. And what it essentially does is in resolving that issue of how to record all these people in a particular place. And it doesn't have to be a place, it's just a grouping. It, it applies equally to researching a surname, for example. It could be a history of a church, or it could be all the graves in a churchyard, or, or it could be a ship's history. But what we do is we put equal weight on the people and the places. So you've got the places with the, the, the little, the, building graphic and the people and the glue between them are the sources which are the reasons why you're recording that information where you're finding these names and places but typically in family history software of course the focus is on the people and those uh, people relationships and the places kind of becomes secondary because we chase around looking for our ancestors and we kind of record where they are but it's quite hard then to pin back later whether two people came from the same place it's not a natural relationship often in the database so that's the kind of focus that we put into name and place but I'll show you obviously because this is what you really want to see you want to see how the software actually looks so with that in mind when you come to the dashboard within name and place you'll see for this project and conveniently you see I've chosen Rillington just for you that you can see that when you come in here it's at a glance view where it shows you the numbers of names places sources and occupations which are in the project currently and it's that kind of equal emphasis that we have between these key parts of the data and how everything ties together, which really sort of gives name and place its power to be able to sort of deal with projects like this and support them. But if I just jump down into the names, first of all, and this essentially then is just an alphabetical list of all the names within the project. So if I pick one of the notable people in Rillington as this chap, here, Thomas Allenson, who was born in 1795. The kind of information you've got here is not really still unusual to what you perhaps would see in some family history software. So for example, it's got his name details, his title, the unique reference, and you can set his gender and so on. Now you see, we have some tabs along the top here where you can then also record his life events. So details about him, when he was born, death, marriage and so on again we're not really any different to family history software at this point mm -hmm. likewise facts 
In this case, there's just one fact here, which is his cause of death. Okay, and it's got a place associated with it, which I'll come back to in just a moment. And then, as I said, with that other equal part to it that we place is on sources. And you can record absolutely any source within name and place. But again, not particularly different to family history software. Where the key differentiators start to come in is if I go back to the events, you can see that you've got a little pin next to the places here. And you can actually click on any of those places and it will jump to an equivalent record for that place. So in just the same way as you've got a, a record about the name, you've got a record about the place. And everything gets turned around here because you don't now have birth, marriage and death, but you have dates of construction. You have dates of demolition. You have dates of change of use. You have the people who live there and where it is. You know, so there is different pieces of information for a place, which in many ways can correspond to the name. But by keeping track of all those name to place relationships, that then starts to create a very powerful database of being able to have a picture of that entire place in its entirety. So on the place here, so this is, this is a place in Rillington. There you go. There's one of those wonderful old photographs from Pam. This is the private asylum where Dr. Allenson lived. And uh, this is on Low Moorgate. I have actually been up to Rillington. In, in our terms in England, it's a long way away. It's about 300 miles. I know it's like a trip for dinner for you. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a distance for us. So, but I have actually been up there and seen it. And, and the mount still exists today. Now, we pin places so where they are so you can actually pin on a map where each place is that's important because of course places may not show up on current maps today you know so you can actually sort of geocode a place where it used to be so this is that street today and if i spin around here there's that same building there's the mount oh. as it appears today and you can see there was that window sort of just off the side as there was in that photograph and so it's just a private residence today now Rillington is named after a rill and a, in English is a sort of tiny little stream here. So that's actually sort of, you know, the, where, where the name allegedly comes from. And you can see that runs all the way down the street there. But that's sort of like where you can really then tie the information of that place to where it was, to where it is now and so on. Now, if I go back to Thomas Allenson again, then you can then see a snapshot of all of the places which have been recorded to do with him. So there's Rillington on, in North Yorkshire there, the Mount, which was where he died. He was born up in Snainton there, and he was married up in Scarborough here. So as you naturally add this information, it starts to layer it together so that you can start doing some mapping and some graphical analysis as you go. And this information, this is all quite new, actually, and we're building up more maps as we go at the moment in the project as one of the sort of pieces of development I'm working on particularly. That is wonderful because it really helps people, especially if you're doing some place you're not exactly familiar with all the neighboring places, you'd be able to see like proximity to, yeah. oh, he happened to marry a girl from say Brompton or something like that. Well, I said, well, that's not that far from Rillington. So that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. And I know, again, some family history software can sort of do this sort of mapping, but it's, it's more that, that equality between the names and the places. The sorts of questions you ask when you do these sorts of projects is where did everyone come from? And where did they go to? How long did they stay there? What did they do? 
were the, what were the social changes in that place? You know, we obviously we had the Industrial Revolution, which uh, impacted a lot of these places like Rillington. And in particular, the railway came to Rillington. That made a big change. So in terms of the trades to support that in what is essentially a very agricultural sort of farming community. And so you can track those things over time. So, for example, if we have a look at this chap called Enos here, who was another one of the notable people in Rington, and wonderfully, even though he was born in 1823, we do have a photograph there of him. He was a tailor, draper, he was church warden, and he you know, had a number of different roles within there. And if I look under the facts, we've recorded all of those occupations there that um, show up. So you can see his parish clerk, sexton and so on. So Pam's put a load of information in there. And you'll see again that you can actually then pin the places that those things happen to. So you've got that, that remember that chart I showed you at the beginning, that, that picture of Paul's brain. It's like how all these mm -hmm. things sort of interweave. And then what that enables you to do is start looking at occupational trends because if you're recording all of the occupations, these aren't text fields, these are smart fields. So you'll be able to collate all of the tailors, for example, and who they were, and over time, then you can start tracking where did they come from. So that, if, for example, in my part of the world, in, in the southern part of, of England, there were coal mines that were, grew up, and in fact, they imported a lot of the miners from the northern part of England, where our, traditionally our coal mining was. So, you, you know, if, you, if you're looking at a, a, a village like that, you can see that population move with a reason. And then when the, the coal mines were, some of them quite short lived. So where did the coal miners go afterwards? Did they go back to the north again or did they stay more locally? And you can start to answer those questions. Or in fact, often what you find is the analytics sort of create more questions, more paths for research and so on. And I think really the other part of the picture there are the sources. So, you know, as I said, that I, I consider them the sort of the glue that holds it all together. So if I go to the sources of Thomas Allenson, you'll see some quite traditional ones that we recognize as family historians, you know, like the death index, his last will and testament and so on. Now, one of the key differences we do here is you can track every single piece of information on the, on the source. So in the case of the will, there are three names listed there. And if we look at them, you can see that you've got Thomas Allenson as a testator, but two people are named as beneficiaries. They go on to the, the project because the beauty of that is that perhaps John Thomas Topham, may, that may be the only time he appears anywhere in your research, mm -hmm. but perhaps he moves to the village, you know, in 10 years time, or, you know, somebody in the village marries him or, or something like that. And those pieces of information could, are the ones that can get lost so easily. When you're talking about this mass of data, when you've got the population, even of quite a small village, you know, the, the volume of data that you're looking at, your research sources that can be quite substantial. So by tracking all these pieces of information, it then makes sure you don't miss anything, which could actually create a quite exciting story for you sort of later on. And if I go back to those sources again, if I go back to Thomas, you know, and sources can be quite unstructured because for example, here, Penny Readings by Dr. Tom Allenson was literally just some poetry. Mm -hmm. And in this, and, and we've got the transcription of the poetry in here, it mentions some names of some other people who existed in Rillington at the time. So you've got like Alston, the, the, the builder, and you've got Mr. Fuster. So then, if you look at the names for that, it means we've got James Oston listed there. 
and in fact we know that he was born in 1819 but again you would very you could quite easily miss those relationships and that information and so on so it's that sort of equal balance and i guess the way i really look at that is these then create the building blocks on which you can do the analytics as i say then the population movements the mortality rates you know the you know the occupations to what were the key occupations by having all of these pieces of data there you know then you're, you you've got all the information to then build upon so that in a nutshell sort of what we're doing really and that's sort of how it it runs you know it, it's all online mm -hmm. so this is all cloud software so i'm running this off the web that means it's basically accessible on any sort of device you know desktop or mobile whatever so that's absolutely amazing Terry, what are your thoughts? Because I think this may have been one of the first times that you've seen all of this. It is the first time I've seen any of it. And I have to say my analytical mind loves it. The idea that you can click and see who all the miners were or the tailors to really pull that community together. It's very cool. I feel like I've missed out um, at Roots Tech last, well, in whatever the last one was, 2020. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's been 10 years. Yeah, um, I know how you feel, Terry. Yeah. I love the, the, even the look of it because I'm a Mac person. And when you look at things and you see that it's, it's so not blatantly PC, it's just web-based and it's mm -hmm. clean. I love it. And there's graphs. That's even more exciting. Yeah, I say, that's brand new, and I know you like graphs, so yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Well, so excited! Yeah, I, I just pulled that as you said that because I mean, this sort of like summarizes that kind of idea of what I'm saying. So here is an occupation breakdown, and this is actually based off the 1851 census. But you can see there's a snapshot here of the industries. Now we know we can do this with the industries because we know the occupations. So right. we can put some intelligence to it about, well, which occupations apply to which industries. And the software comes with some standard sort of groupings, but none of it is restricted. You know, you, you can customize any of these if you've got unusual occupations, because one of the beauties of this, and I certainly found this when I was over in Salt Lake last year, was just the breadth of projects of what people are doing. And I keep discovering all these fascinating things that people are researching and they sort of coming to me with well I've got this but could your software help with this and 99% of the time it's yes absolutely it's out of the box it can help you because it's that it's a history project you know and history projects will boil down to names places and sources doesn't matter absolutely. how you dress it up everything will come down to that so you can help but yeah it's absolutely fascinating to see that sort of thing but anyway back back to this so then what you can do here for example is if we say look at the trade one which is beige i can click on that and it tells me that there's 84 people there and then we drill down to the actual occupations and from there we can click on a specific one so there for example we've got the tailors 20 of them and there we are we've got the tailors who were all listed in, in the village there at that time. And you can see that there, there's that chap Enos, the one with the photograph we had, and we can just then drill straight through back to his record again. So it's, I always have this um, sort of belief about what I would say like stories through data, like the taking journeys through your project. And I just wanted to rescue people really from getting so bogged down into how on earth do I record all my data? Let us oh worry God. about that and then let you be the researcher and let you uncover the stories that your project wants to tell you. 
So I started quite a few years back, one name study on my O'Connell line. And it's very daunting because it's a popular name. So now I, I'm looking at this and thinking all my spreadsheets that I've got, like, yeah, this is way better. I mean, you yeah. can analyze with your spreadsheet, but not, it's not cool like that. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the things that people often come up against quite early in this is you can, should be very pleased with yourself if you've got to say a census return and you put it into a spreadsheet because that fits wonderfully. It's that tabular formatted data. It's lovely and easy. But then if you now have a list of parish registers or a list of wills or some tithe records, how on earth then do you start connecting all of those spreadsheets together? And that's sort of that big stumbling block that, you know, that, yes. that's when people sort of like, how on earth do I get over that? And not only is the logistics of actually connecting that together, but as I said, it's, it's so easy then to miss things that your data is trying to tell you, you know, where you've got these connections, these relationships and so on you know so by putting it all in in a structured way into a database like this that's really has always been my intention is to free people from that sort of worry you know awesome this really excites is. me it really <laughs> is and i think terry probably has a project in ireland she needs to do now <laughs> sounds like it <laughs> a few a few <laughs> well this is really great Paul, and maybe we could even have Pam come in and give her own little spin on it down the road. But Oh, absolutely. It, I'm sure she'll be delighted to. Yes. And yeah, you and her can reminisce about Rillington. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It'll be like a family reunion. So one of the things I guess people would probably want to know about as far as like, is there any computer limitations for their own systems or obviously is there anything that they can already have like a jedcom and import that in or is a lot of new double keying in and can more than one person work on a project if it's a login and i know that you're going to be doing teams sometime this coming year and maybe you might want to chat a little bit about that too sure no those great questions david in terms of computer power and everything because it's cloud software the onus is all on us so you know it, it's in the past, cloud software was a bit of a tough sell in that everybody wanted to hold on to their own data locally on their computer and do their own backups, hopefully do their own backups and so on. The world has kind of changed because, for example, even if you use sort of like products like Microsoft Office, you know, a lot of those are quite cloud based. Google, all of their products are cloud based. And there's there's huge advantages to it, not, not least the fact that it is as um, Terry touched upon it's platform agnostic in that it's not a Windows application it's not a Mac application you can run it on anything from a data storage perspective everything's managed by us it's on you know a, a proper suite of we actually use Amazon's platform you know so okay. we go to one of the biggest and you know we're using their network for data storage and backups and mm -hmm. so on but that's all taken care of for you I'm very sensitive to the fact that of course this is people's research and it's probably one of the most important sort of non-work projects they may well take on in their lives over a long period of time so you know I'm very respectful of that and there will always be tools available so you can take copies locally but the okay. idea is by keeping it online that you know we can manage a lot of that sort of for you the other key advantage that comes there is you can have your own project website 
So as, as included with your name and place project, at the moment, it's a fairly simplistic page, but you can put some information on it and a photo gallery and a contact form, because I'm a big believer in, with many of research projects, you want it effectively to be a shop window to people who can help, you know, to connect. If we're talking about a one place study, you know, that I've, I've heard of cases you know, where there is a book of sort of schools admissions records that somebody's got sitting in a cupboard at home. They're the one person with that. And if they know that you're researching that place, you know, they and they contact you, you know, that's gold dust. You know, you, that's something you would never get another way. So the, another advantage of that cloud concept, of course, then it's all online. So therefore, you can easily build a website with it. And um, that's something that we're very much expanding as well this year so that you'll be able to start, for example, selecting views of your data. If you wanted to show some graphs, for example, it will take a live view of your data and put it out onto the web. And that's all enabled because we're in the cloud. We also talked about sort of the Teams concept. And I've always believed that that's something we can do because there will be groups of research out there, you know, with, you know, particularly for, for a place where, you know, it won't just be one person, there will be a group. And so by having it in the cloud, it makes it very easy for it to be collaborative. So we can just expand that um, project account so that you, you can have multi-users signing in. And of course, you can all see what each other are doing and you're working on a common database. So it, it works really smoothly with that. And in fact, we're actively working, we're piloting with a family history society in the UK to help them with sort of putting all of their vast amounts of data online, which they've got sort of in mainly CD format at the moment to, to make it more interactive. And then that will be part of something that they can, they can share with members and even members of the public as well. So, and of course that sort of structure does need a, a sort of Teams type approach that's excellent and i'm sorry david i knew you asked me another question i've completely forgotten middleware so the other question is again if somebody has used a gedcom and have mm -hmm. a genealogy program and they have a bunch of people in that they've tried to do it on a genealogy software program can this be exported into name and place yeah no, absolutely, because interestingly, there's two camps to this. Some people actually have wanted to do sort of manual entry again as a way of almost sort of, particularly if they've taken direct transcriptions of, of data from some of the, the, the major websites. And as we all know, you know, some of those transcriptions do leave a little bit to be desired and they do need mm -hmm. a bit of cleaning up. So you can obviously data enter on those but you can import in csv format so that's the same as running from a spreadsheet so you and we have predefined fields so that we can have one that's a census based for example or a, a parish register based we're just doing a, a new launch imminently really which expands that list a bit and i'll just briefly mention here although obviously i've got a very english accent and uh, we're over here in the uk the whole concept of name and place is international mm -hmm. so you know we're testing it with us census data as well because 90 percent is similar in between how the two countries have done it but you know there are obviously different quirks in your fields over the sort of things that we collected so the whole thing is very international and we're also even sort of internationalizing like the labeling so you can have the differences in spelling and so on, of course, and that applies to all the other countries as well. And then GEDCOM is coming next. And in fact, at the famous Roots Tech in London, I made a famous statement, which I will hold myself to, that it will import all formats of GEDCOM. 
even even the newest ones. So that is coming too. And that again will be, I would suspect, the full that will be coming. So at the moment it's spreadsheet based, but then you'll be able to import JCOM too. And likewise, be able to export. Because again, it's that ethos that I've got of not holding all the data. I want to make it as open as possible. If you want to get it out to put it somewhere else, that you'll be able to do that. That's excellent. Now, if people want to know about the pricing and how they can get obviously involved in the yeah. starting a project, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. The cloud software concept comes then with it logically with a subscription basis so you don't buy name and place outright because what you're really buying is not only that sort of cloud service of holding everything managing it for you you're getting continual developments and i mean we're talking here obviously about enthusiasts i mean yes i'm a software developer by trade but i'm so passionate about this pam is so passionate about this and we've even you know, got our team inspired, you know, people who knew nothing about family history before we started this, they all, you know, they're so addicted to it now that we're a passionate team and we've got a huge roadmap of new development that's coming over the coming years. So you're buying into that too with the subscription. And there are just two forms of subscription. You can either choose to pay monthly or pay annually. And obviously the latter is a a discounted one. And you have a no obligation two week free trial to try name and place and there's literally no obligation you're more than welcome to try it and if you don't like it I hope you do but if you don't you you absolutely do not need to keep with it and we're actually trying at the moment as as long as we can keep going with it but Pam is doing a wonderful job of doing one-to-one demos with people so we're actually giving people the opportunity to talk to us directly over Zoom about their project and then talking to them about how they can best use name and place to do that because that's one thing that we've struggled with i think you know over the past year that since salt lake and roots tech it's quite hard to explain to people the concepts of name and place with them just sort of you know without having that explanation so the challenge for us is to sort of like try and educate them more and we're busy as hard as we can trying to record videos and things but sometimes you still can't quite get that message over so we're working hard on that that's excellent well that's a real personal touch and i think in this day and age it's probably very much appreciated especially as more people are home and can't travel exactly might as well virtually travel to the place that you love the most and make it something that everyone can benefit by i really love that you came in and shared this the day after your birthday so happy belated (laughs) birthday paul thank you though and I really want to thank you and thank Pam for reaching out to you to get this interview to happen. Yeah. And uh, Terry, do you have any other questions for Paul? Well, I have, I have a couple things. One, I love the places part where you're talking about buildings and you're putting the history of that building in there because you're encouraging them not only to research the person or the local town, but now the individual places like the houses and the churches, like that's amazing. I love that because when I look at my Ireland people, the first thing I do is Google the church to find out the history of the church. How long was it there? When was it built? You know, all that information is kind of important when you go that far back. The second thing is the question. So in my spreadsheet files for my one name study, the very last field I have is the URL. Yeah. 
is that something that will pull into here so so that if I did something like this, I could click to see the image? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the places, as I said, you can link sort of via maps to where it is. You mm -hmm. can have a gallery of images, which can also be photographs or document scans, mm -hmm. you know, any suite of things like that. And, and yes, absolutely. If you want to sort of, you know, to link out to something else, you can do that, you know, and to be honest, if there's things that we haven't thought of, and we're open to you telling us to say we're, we're a small and enthusiastic mm -hmm. team, so we want this to grow, you know, with, with our, you know, our project researchers and uh, yeah, support them, you know, so. Then my last thing is, personally, I haven't been doing a lot of my family history research in the past few years. I just haven't had the energy. I just wasn't. I don't know. I pick it up here and there and look at a couple yeah, things and put I, it away. I understand. Yeah, life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I recently I, helped her with her British side. That uh, you'd be really amazed how much English she actually has for someone who does really? Irish research. I am so excited to kind of go back in now. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you. Well, this yeah. has been fabulous, and um, again, nameandplace.com is probably the easiest way to go right to their website and if you do sign up tell them that you saw it here on virtual historians and uh, thanks again paul for your time and uh, we definitely want to have you come back again to tell us more about things that are changing because this sounds like this is quite wet cement and yeah. will be uh, ever changing and developing as yeah. uh, the software and everything in the realm of game and place morphs into the next generation so Thanks again. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you, David and Terry. Thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure to come and talk to you today. Thank you very much. Well, everyone, that's all for this episode. But remember, we're virtually yours. Thanks so very much, and we'll see you our next episode. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember you can also find us on the audio podcast of your choice. Currently, we can be found on Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And for those of you listening on audio, remember you can always find the full video recording on our YouTube channel. And if you like this episode, please feel free to leave a comment on the website or on YouTube. As always, you can find us at virtualhistorians.com. You can email us at info at virtualhistorians.com. And we ask that you please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you.